Let me check my phone. Call from potential fraud. Hmm. Wonder who this is. Hello, sir or madam. This is Tucker Johnson from McAfee. I'm calling to let you know that your computer has been compromised. Oh, fuck off. Hey there, and welcome to Post Credits with Gil Garcia, where we go beyond the final scene. It's the third week of January 2024, and the box office pickings are slim. But instead of dipping into the backlog of movies, today we are reviewing the latest theatrical release from David Ayer and Jason Statham. That's right, we're talking about The Beekeeper. On last week's episode, I teased three potential movies for this week's episode. We had ISS, The Holdovers, and The Beekeeper. After deliberating for a couple days, I made the instinctive decision to go ahead with The Beekeeper. As for next week, you guys are in for a real treat. This past month, I've been binge-playing through the Remedy catalog of video games. I'm talking Alan Wake Remastered, Control Ultimate Edition, and then I even started Alan Wake 2. If you haven't played those games, you must. They are fantastic. If you have played those games, you can clearly see the influence and the fingerprints of David Lynch and Stephen King's work in the mystery of those stories. So per the request of several friends, co-workers, and listeners that recommended those video games to me, they also recommended that I go take a look at some of David Lynch's films. And I'm happy to announce that I went on a hunt to find the Criterion release of the cult classic David Lynch film, Mulholland Drive. That's right, folks. Next week, I'll be reviewing Mulholland Drive, a mind-bending erotic thriller starring Naomi Watts, Laura Herring, and Justin Theroux. I've never seen it before, so I'm extremely excited to see what all the fuss is about. So I know January felt a bit sporadic. I started the year off sicker than a dog. Then I even forced my way through the Gilly Awards with a cough drop in my mouth. But I guarantee you that next month we'll have structure and a dedicated lineup once again. So without further ado, I want to fully announce the schedule for February 2024. On February 5th, I'm going to be reviewing Matthew Vaughn's new action flick, Argyle. And on February 12th, I'm bringing back the Guilty Pleasures spinoff episode. And we're doing a special Valentine's Day edition, where I'll be revisiting two romantic comedies that I love. We have Just Married, starring Ashton Kutcher and Brittany Murphy, and The Proposal, starring Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock. On the actual date of Valentine's Day, we have two film releases, which I'll be reviewing in the final two weeks of the month. We have Madame Webb and Bob Marley, One Love. That means that on February 19th, you'll be getting my Madame Webb episode. And on February 26th episode, you'll be getting Bob Marley, One Love, which may be an early contender for next year's Gilly Award for Best Trailer. I love that trailer every time I see it. I'll be sharing the schedule on social media, so keep an eye out over on X and Instagram. Look for PC with Gil. Now, let's get back in action and focus on taking down some scammers with the beekeeper. This is Act 1, Expectations. (laughs) 
In The Beekeeper, one man's brutal campaign for vengeance takes on national stakes after he is revealed to be a former operative for a powerful and clandestine organization known as Beekeepers. The Beekeeper is directed by David Ayer, director of Suicide Squad from 2016, End of Watch, and Fury, and it's written by Kurt Wimmer, who's, oh man, his credits are pretty bad. He wrote Equilibrium, which is a good movie, but he also wrote the reboots of Point Break and Total Recall, and also the Gilly Award-nominated worst film, Expend for Bulls. Oof. The film stars Jason Statham as Adam Clay, Josh Hutcherson as Derek Danforth, Jeremy Irons as Wallace Westwold, Emmy Raver-Lampman as Agent Parker, and Felicia Rashad as Eloise Parker. I want to get serious for a minute and discuss the reason why I chose this film in particular as opposed to ISS or The Holdovers. When I'm not podcasting or editing, for my actual career, I'm a computer technician. My job entails me repairing, troubleshooting, setting up, and building computers for clients. Part of the troubleshooting aspect of my job ranges from printer driver reinstalls, operating system installs, network resets, and of course virus removals. But the one issue I see the most are email compromises and password management. The issue has become so common at my job because millions of Americans are becoming prey to email and remote access scams every single day. This growing issue involves a person, likely elderly, responding to an email from someone pretending to be McAfee, Norton, Geek Squad, Amazon, etc. These losers, they claim that you either have been hacked or you have to give them money to release control of your computer, or they'll claim that you have been charged $400 for an antivirus software. In the email message, they'll stipulate that you have to call them to request a refund, the refund process is completely fucking bullshit, and someone comes on the phone to walk you through installing a remote access application. More than likely, they'll use apps like AnyDesk or TeamViewer because you don't need an account to use those applications. Once the agents have you install these programs, they view and control everything that you do on the computer. So naturally, they will force you to log into your bank account and pretend that they're going to be reversing the funds now that they see your account information and your pending charge. They throw some script on the screen to make it seem like you actually spent $400 on an antivirus software. While you're looking at the screen and seeing your bank account, they're copying every routing number, every bank number, every email address, and all your sensitive information. I'm bringing this all up because this movie is about this same exact premise. Jason Statham plays an elderly woman's beekeeper who sings vengeance on a scam call center after they clean out her life savings and charity funds. Scams are not a joke and need to be dealt with seriously. I'm so glad a film like this has come around to bring attention to this matter because it's gone on way too much and you have probably have seen all those scam calls coming to your cell phone or your house phone or your inbox is flooded with thousands of fake emails this is what that's all about and to take my familiarity and connection to this movie even further i want to share a personal story about a woman that i helped about a year ago last february i went to a woman's house by the name of juanita juanita is 80 years old she lives on her own with every now and then a weekly caretaker comes in and checks in on her brings her groceries and stuff like that 
Juanita enjoyed living alone because she didn't want to burden her children, and she wished to keep her independence. I was there to install a brand new all-in-one desktop after her old one began to fail. I managed to get her important information off her old computer and transfer it over to her new one. She was so excited and thrilled with my service, her new computer, and how easy it was for her to use. I showed her all the bells and whistles, connected her printer, connected all of her stuff, her internet, everything to it. It was really awesome for her, and she was really perked up and excited. Approximately one month later, I get a call from Juanita, who was crying and upset. She called me to help her get back onto her computer. She said she responded to an email from McAfee about her $400 subscription renewal. She thought... I never paid you guys $400. I'm going to call this person and see what is going on. So she called the number and got coaxed into giving them remote access to the desktop all the way from India. Now, before you can accuse me of xenophobia, I also want to make mention that India is renowned for being the scam capital of the world. With cities like New Delhi, Mumbai, and Kolkata at the epicenter of these markets, there is no jurisdiction to shut down these call centers. They have these big overlord managers that will pay the cops under the table to look the other way. So they asked Juanita to politely step away from her computer and grab some lunch while they processed the refund. But unbeknownst to her, while she was away, they were digging through every file on her computer, every website, every password, medical documents, contact lists, bank account transactions, everything they could find, everything that they could get their grubby little fucking hands on. And within the hour that she was away from her desk, they had taken from her $25,000. Then they proceeded to add salt to the wound by changing every single password on her computer, deleting every single photo, and they completely bricked her computer. So when she got back from the store, she didn't know what the fuck was going on. They hung up on her and she never heard from them ever again. And she couldn't even turn on the computer. The damn thing was completely bricked. The damage was done. Now, by the time I got handle of the story, I told her that there wasn't anything I could really do. I could refer her to the police, tell her to go to the bank to process claiming identity theft and fraud. As a technician, there's only so much confidentiality and so much I can do. I could restore the computer, I could reset it and install a new operating system, but her information is gone. What really kills me about this is the invasion of privacy, trust, and human dignity. It's straight up evil. Juanita didn't just lose her life savings, she lost her independence. She had to call her children. Her children had to come and start living with her, and I haven't heard from her since, but it's very likely they may have also moved her into a retirement home. I wish there was a happy ending to this story, but there almost never is in these kind of situations. When a person is victimized to the level that Juanita was, there's nothing for her left. Everything that she spent her life working for, her retirement, gone instantly. So for the past year after I spoke to Juanita, I've taken more of a vigilant effort to educate everyone that I come in contact with to look out for these scams. You could hover over links but never click on them. If an email is too good to be true, that's because it is. 
check the sender of the email. If Microsoft is sending you an email about your computer being compromised, but they're using a Gmail account, that's a big red flag. Microsoft only uses Microsoft.com as their email domain. It's little tips and tricks like that that can go a long way into saving not only your life, but the life of a loved one. If you wish to learn more about the dangers of these scammers and would like information on how to better protect yourself and your loved ones in the digital world, I would highly recommend that you follow the YouTube channels Scammer Payback, Kit Boga, and Jim Browning. These content creators are dedicated to exposing these call centers and bringing attention of the matter to the public so people like yourselves can better defend themselves against these heinous attacks. The one thing I do like about Scammer Payback, Kit Boga, and Jim Browning in particular is that they're the closest things to real-world vigilantes that we're going to get. They've done some amazing things in the cybersecurity space, influencing the raid of several call centers, creating an annual anti-scam call center where they waste these call centers' times and even get information on the location of these call centers. And they've even raised a lot of money to give back to scam victims. If it weren't for them sharing the trailer on social media and going to bat for the context and accuracy of the film's topic, I probably would have dismissed this movie as another failed Jason Statham tentpole. But this film does resonate with me at a personal core, and that's why I wanted to review it today. So that begs the question, does The Beekeeper live up to its promising premise? Or is it destined to join the three other Jason Statham films that made my worst of list? It is time we get to the review and find out. This is Act 2, The Review. So for the past 15-20 minutes, I've clearly spoken a lot about the seriousness of the Beekeeper's real-life inspiration. But I don't want to completely gaslight you on the quality of this film. At its core, this is still very much a Jason Statham film. It's very much a stupid 90s-style action film. It's chock-full of over-the-top action, violence, and the worst kind of plot twist you could imagine. (laughs) So the simple premise of a groundskeeper avenging his motherly figure that was cyber-attacked was exactly the kind of story that I've been wanting to see on a screen for a long time. But the story takes a hard right turn at a certain point, diverting from its relatable core premise And it turns into goddamn White House down or Olympus has fallen. (laughs) And that's what the trailers and the promotional material don't tell you. It's that Adam Clay isn't just a simple groundskeeper, retired military type character, an everyday man. No, his role as beekeeper isn't just a profession or a hobby. It was the codename of a secret covert operation for a select few security-cleared government assassins. That's right, the word beekeeper isn't just because he's tending to bees and groundskeeping, it's because that is an actual assassination organization in the context of this film. A unit so deadly that they are above the CIA and the Secret Service, yet don't have any trace of their identity on any government records. Through a very elaborate explanation given by Jeremy Irons' Wallace, Adam Clay's role as beekeeper is to protect the hive. The hive is an allegory for an intricate network of subsidiaries to the President of the United States. 
Yes, that's the kind of rabbit hole this fucking movie takes with its premise. (laughs) This syndicate of businesses, government operations, and financial institutions were put in place by the Queen Bee, a.k.a. the President of the United States, in order to establish stability to the country. When the Queen Bee or the Hive is threatened, the beekeepers are activated into bringing law, order, and justice above and beyond the jurisdiction of the police, the FBI, and the CIA. In a way, a beekeeper's job is to clean the corruption from within a hive, so to speak. Quite literally, Adam Clay isn't just a beekeeper for Eloise, he's a government beekeeper. (laughs) When Eloise gets scammed out of her life savings, she commits suicide. Clay, who was kind of like the surrogate son of hers, then tracks down the people responsible for scamming her out of her money. In his rage, he discovers a cover-up and plot that goes all the way up the ladder to the President of the United States. Holy shit. (laughs) I came into this movie thinking it was going to be a small, personal action revenge film with smaller stakes, but I didn't expect it to go this far into government conspiracy theories and cover-ups and stuff. I really kind of thought this movie was going to be like Taken, but instead it feels more like John Wick. There's a secret underground society with a set of rules. Adam gets attacked by another assassin that replaced him. There's even a call center set up for Adam to literally call them and get the location of the call center immediately right after Eloise gets scammed. I thought it was going to take the whole runtime for him to figure out the mystery, but no, he just calls up a call center and they immediately give him the information they need. It's similar to when in John Wick, he calls that little operator system of all the tatted up women. Yeah, it's, it's like that. There's even an underground bunker that he resupplies and hides out in before he coordinates his next moves. It really is like John Wick. Now, I know I'm talking about this in a negative context for the most part. Because there is a lot of derivative action here. It does resemble movies that came before it. But it's because I enjoyed the personal intrigue of the first act of this movie so much. I wanted it to be more like that the whole way through instead of John Wick Chapter (laughs) 5. Once the film goes from the perspective of Adam to the perspective of Agent Parker, I think that's where the movie kind of lost me a bit. Agent Parker is the daughter of Eloise. And she's the one that's also in charge of tracking down her mother's killers. But there doesn't seem to be any urgency from her in this film. She just stumbles around these crime scenes in the aftermath of what Adam's been doing. His rage. It it feels like Adam was more emotionally attached to Eloise than her actual daughter was. There was a throwaway line early in the film, but it doesn't justify why Agent Parker is so reserved in finding these call centers and exposing them the way that Adam is involved in exposing them. The story could have paid off a whole lot more if Agent Parker was not in any way associated with Eloise, but an officer that always seems to be a step behind Adam. But they decided to involve her in Eloise's life, and I think that was a missed call. I don't think the character's connection to Eloise really pertains to the story as well as it should have. It doesn't pay off that well. But despite how stupid this movie becomes, I still enjoyed the hell out of it. The action sequences of Adam walking into a call center, beating the shit out of the manager, then setting the place on fire is so fucking gratifying and cathartic. 
you really do root for him to beat the shit out of everyone in the room, no matter their gender, age, or race. It's awesome. This is prime Jason Statham. You'll see his creativity and resourcefulness when he gets into these office fights. He'll engage with five guards, for example. He'll hang a guy by a Cat5 Ethernet cable, stab one in the face with a stapler, then slam another one's throat directly into a work phone while it's on its side. The movie doesn't shy away from blood, gore, and mutilations either. In one scene, Jason Statham goes full Kevin McAllister on the scammer goons, rigging farming equipment to maim these intruders as they go after him. He hilariously chops the fingers off of one of the leaders, then proceeds to furniture strap him to his pickup and yeets him all the way across a bridge. (laughs) It's freaking fantastic. This is the best slice of action I've seen Jason Statham perform in since the Transporter films. He has a ton of one-liners that, if given to an actor like Chris Pratt, would have been eye-rolling. But Jason's stoic delivery is so smooth, it fits the bizarrely ludicrous seriousness on display. Now, speaking of ludicrous seriousness, I need to highlight Josh Hutcherson for a second here and his performance in this movie. In this movie, Josh is playing the swarmy, coke-headed dickbag trust fund baby with an inferiority complex. I didn't mind him in this role, but he wasn't given a good script. Hutcherson's Derek Danforth character uses the F word in every line of dialogue in this movie. I kid you not. It was becoming so distracting that I was thinking in the theater, man, I wonder if he out F bombs Joe Pesci's Tommy DeVito from Goodfellas. An example of the magnificent dialogue that Josh has given here goes along the lines of, I want you to fucking find this fucking fuck and fucking end him. You fucking understand? (laughs) That is some brilliant Oscar-worthy writing there. And poor Josh has to do what he can to ham it up a bit, make it intimidating. The unnecessary F-bombs, the poor writing, it doesn't just start and end with Derek, though. Agent Parker has some gems of her own as well. Now, my favorite line of dialogue comes when Agent Parker has to interrogate one of the call scammers. She drops this excellent question. That's a nice shirt. Did you steal it out of a casket, you dog fucker? Dude, (laughs) where did the dog fucker thing come from? (laughs) Dude, I don't know. Did did a 15-year-old write this? (laughs) But I think that plays into the schlockiness and the campiness of this film. But let's get back to Josh Hutcherson. I kind of feel bad for the guy. He's clearly trying his hardest to be hard and antagonistic, but he just comes off like a spaz. It's obvious that the intention for the character is to be like this, but I just don't see it out of him. He's still a bit too baby-faced to pull off an action movie villain. I still see him as Peter Malark, and, you know, prior to this, he worked on Five Nights at Freddy's. And it's kind of sad because he took a whole four to five years off of acting before going to Five Nights at Freddy's and before making this movie. Within those four to five years, perhaps he might have just went back to the drawing board and looked at some things he could do better with his career. And I respect him taking the risk of portraying an action movie villain. But I don't know, it just feels kind of one note. I don't hate Josh. He actually has a couple good scenes towards the end of the movie, especially when Derek is confronted by Adam. 
It's just unfortunate that it took him almost the entire runtime of the film for him to do something interesting with Derek. Now, one character that I really enjoyed watching on screen, and it's because he's good in almost everything he does, is Jeremy Irons as Wallace. Wallace is an ex-CIA agent who has insider knowledge of the beekeeper program and understands what's at stake for Derek Danforth for stirring the beehive. You can criticize the Wallace character as basically being Basil Exposition, (laughs) but Jeremy Irons can narrate a dictionary into a compelling audiobook for all I care. I can listen to this man talk for hours. He makes for a compelling antagonist whom the studio can save for a future sequel should this movie make enough money at the box office. And I think they could. This, this kind of has all the makings of a prime new uh, action IP and franchise. While the movie attempts consistently through the end of the second act to remind the audience about where we came from, about the scamming incident that started this whole thing, it deviates from where I wanted to see this movie head. I wanted it to take the hacking aspect a bit more seriously. But it is an action movie after all. It has to take liberties with its source of inspiration while making it big, spectacular, and entertaining. I do admire David Ayer and Kurt Wimmer for taking the real-life issue and bringing it to the forefront for a potential film franchise. I thoroughly enjoyed The Beekeeper, despite its issues, The film is informative, it's fun, and it's a good return to form for Jason Statham. Far and away better than the Fast franchise and the Meg franchises. My final verdict for The Beekeeper is 3.2 out of 5. Enjoy it for what it is, dislike it for what it does poorly, but most importantly, use this film as a wake-up call on how to protect yourself and your loved ones from cyber attacks. Let's now move on to our final segment of the show, where we discuss the critical and commercial reception to The Beekeeper, as well as filmmaking factoids. This is Act 3, Beyond the Final Scene. It will come as a huge surprise to listeners of the show that The Beekeeper is striking a chord with audiences and critics. Sitting at 71% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes with critics... Consensus for The Beekeeper praise it as cheerfully undemanding and enjoyably retrograde. The Beekeeper proves that when it comes to dispensing action thriller justice, Statham hasn't lost his sting. And audiences wholeheartedly agree with the critics. They give this movie a resounding 94% approval rating. Now, since the word of mouth is so positive, I find it only fitting that instead of pulling one-star reviews like I always do, I want to pull some five-star reviews from audience members on the website to get a feel of how they felt about the subject matter of this film. Let's start it off with the Rotten Tomatoes user FJ, whose comment sums it up pretty well. Great action movie with a unique plot. That, and several relevant themes at play. Statham is at his bone-crunching best. We loved it and can't wait to watch it again. I hope this is a start of a new franchise. I like that he mentioned the relevant themes at play, because that shows that even a casual audience is understanding what exactly they're trying to say about these call centers and scammers. I like that. Jenny W's review is a bit long-winded, but I feel it's necessary to read it out loud here. Here she writes, Never have I ever felt in any film the thrill and excitement I felt during The Beekeeper. The tidbits of real biology, the relatable enemy, 
mixed in with the elusive hints of conspiracy theory and perfectly timed moments of not taking itself too seriously kind of action Statham comedy. Plus, the lead actively avoided killing, period. Lethal force was only used when necessary, and I loved it for that. Crazy creative ways of taking out bad guys to mitigate fallout damage. I've never rooted so fiercely for a movie hero to win the day. Adam Clay, the beekeeper, took my breath away. A perfectly stoic, noble, and admirable hero. A family flick for sure, because older kids and elderly alike will benefit from this cinematic cautionary tale. It was a fantastic date night film to see with my husband, and I can't wait to see the film again with my dad. Bravo. I love that review. That's really good. Really eloquently put. I like how she was able to fit in the fact that this is a family film and taking your parents and elderly to this movie is a good thing. Despite all the weird, crazy action that's going on, it is at its core very relevant. And the final review I want to highlight comes from a user by the name of RSL who says, Jason Statham was as awesome as ever. The bad guys lost and an FBI agent obviously figured out that there was good in the beekeeper. The unfortunate reality is that crime against seniors continues to happen, and there are still people losing their life savings at the hands of greedy, sociopathic individuals. Couldn't have said it better myself. Make sure you guys take care of yourselves. This is not a laughing matter. These scams can ruin families. They can ruin lives. So I hope you all enjoyed these reviews, and we'll give this movie a shot when it reaches home video streaming, if you decide not to go watch it in the theater. Let's now look at a couple of behind-the-scenes filmmaking factoids and close out the show. I'm not going to lie, there's not a lot of interesting facts surrounding this movie. There's mainly only two that caught my attention, so this is going to be relatively brief. The first filmmaking factoid was one that I noticed right away when the film opened. This movie was developed by Miramax. Can't remember when was the last time I saw the Miramax logo show up on a big screen, but that caught me by surprise. Now, developed by Miramax, the rights were sold to MGM and Amazon Studios the month before filming started towards the end of 2022. MGM and Amazon in turn sold the UK and Ireland rights to Sky Cinema, giving the distinct impression that this film was going to debut on streaming platforms. However, that changed when it was noticed that there was no high-caliber action-based movies in movie theaters at the beginning of 2024. So it was decided at the end of last year that this movie would get a wide theatrical release between January and February 2024 to capitalize on that vacant window. It became a surprise hit, and streaming of the film will become available as soon as its theatrical run is over in the UK and Ireland and in the United States. I think that's a good thing. I think if this movie went straight streaming, I probably would not have watched it. I would have wrote it off like all those other Netflix original films like Extraction and stuff. This coming out in theaters is what made me want to watch it. I wanted to see it on the big screen. So I'm glad MGM and Amazon saw the opportunity to release it on the big screen. I appreciate that. We have to preserve the theatrical movie watching experience, guys. And the last filmmaking factoid that I have for you is part of the film was shot in England for budgetary reasons. The most notable English sequence was at the end of the film when Adam Clay traces Derek Danforth back to a private island. The final action scene ends in England. So there you have it, guys. Another successful episode of Post Credits with Gil Garcia. I know that this one was a little bit more brief, 
But it was one that I wanted to get out for you guys so you can enjoy this film and know exactly my thoughts on the subject matter that this movie presented. Did you watch The Beekeeper? Did you find the film enjoyable? Or will you go out and see it after my review? Let me know in the comments section of the YouTube channel, share the episode on social media, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Next week, things will get weird as we venture into the crazy mind of David Lynch with his cult classic, Mulholland Drive. Take care of yourself, your elderly, and as always, go catch a movie.